Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, from the Backburner podcast is sponsored by Birch Barrel. Uh, if you haven't seen the Swiss Army knife of live fire grills, then this is it. It's it's a little different than what you normally see. You know, hangs from a tripod and all that stuff. It's it's a great. Um, just an just an absolutely spectacular grill. Uh, you can roast, you can bake, you can grill, you can uh, smoke, you can you can do all kinds of stuff with this. Um, so if you're interested in picking one up, uh, you can use my promo code B U R N E R uh, at checkout for a ten percent discount. Um, I, I really can't say enough good things. And if you listen to my last episode, uh, I'm not the only one who thinks so. Big Swede is is a is a, a a big proponent of this thing, and and really just kind of enjoying cooking on on live fire. So, um, just wanted to 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 say a big shout out to to Birch Barrel for for sponsoring the show. And uh, so for this episode. Um, I just want to ask you guys, have you ever listened to a podcast and wanted a little bit more? You wanted to ask the guests uh, your, your own questions? Um, well, that that recently happened uh, to me. Um, so if uh, a recent podcast uh, by the boss man, Randy Newberg, uh, uh, came out. It's uh, episode 176 on, on Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, and the title of it is The Outdoors Are For Everyone. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I would I would highly encourage you to go and, and listen to it. Uh, on it, uh, they they tackle some some pretty uh, sometimes difficult uh, topics and, and questions and, and things for that, but but did a, an incredible job. But uh, the two guests that he had on, uh, one was Lydia Parker from uh, Hunters of Color. Uh, she's one of the founders there, and and I met Lydia actually at uh, the the backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous in Montana last year. Um, and, and had a great conversation with her and, and kind of got to know the organization a little bit. And, and as I've, I've tracked and followed and, and tried to understand a, a bit more and, and see about, uh, uh, what hunters of color does uh i ran across this other name um and he was the other guest on on randy's show his name was alex harvey uh and he and i have actually been bouncing around on social media a little bit um back and forth uh prior to today and and uh, i was like man i gotta i gotta you know sit down at some point and, and talk with alex and and when uh i heard the episode with randy i was like you know what i i gotta i gotta call alex and and see if he'd be willing to come on the show because uh uh i had had kind of some of my own you know uh directions of of some questions that that are a little bit different than what randy was was getting to on his show but um really wanted to sit down with him and, and ask him some questions and so uh everyone please welcome uh alex harvey Thank you. Thank you very much, my friend. I'm, I am pleased to be on your podcast, man. Thank you for the invite. Okay. Well, you know, uh, Alex and I have a lot in common. Um, uh, he's a wildlife biologist as well, uh, uh, right. forester and, and mm-hmm. from Mississippi and, and you, you're running your own, uh, 
uh, business legacy land management, as well as being a a board member for hunters of color. You know, I, I think, I don't know, maybe if it's something about wildlife biologists or or the people who kind of get into that, but we tend to wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's that's absolutely correct. Um, We're, we're never not busy. I don't think so. No, no, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Always something to get done. That's that's for sure. Um, I know you you had something this morning. You were like, "Hey, can we can we push it off a little bit?" I had yeah, come up and- yeah, yeah. I have these things all the time that kind of pop up. My uh, my daughter is selling Girl Scout cookies, and you know, had had to had to do daddy duty, and you know, all, all these other sort of things. But um, yeah, well, Girl Scout saying. cookies are always an easy sell to me, man. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> man, they are. They are. You know, I'm always trying to. She did really well last year. She was uh, within the top 10 in the entire state in terms of cookie sales. So I, I was, nice. uh, we were blown away by that. We're, you know, we're also, as parents, my wife and I are trying to be very supportive. So, yeah. Yep, load up Dad's truck full of cookies and and uh, haul them around and sell them. We'll take them as far as we gotta go, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. One of these days, I mean, I I wish I just had like a you know like like a whole bunch of extra money sitting around because I'd love Mm. to like walk up to a Girl Scout table and you Mm -hmm. know when they when they hit you when you come Mm -hmm. out of the store and they're like, hey, would you like to buy Girl Scout? Just buy everything they have. Just buy everything. Buy buy more than they can sell you. You know what I mean? So they're standing there. They're like, what? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, have done. Man. I have done the pay it forward before, though. Yeah. Like you know, buy yeah. a box for me and then give them an extra yeah. five bucks and say, you know what, make someone's yeah. day. Give them, give them a box of Girl Scout cookies. Yeah, for free. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's yeah. I, I. I always appreciate that. So, yeah, man. I, I, um, you know, it's a, it's it's such a you know this whole thing is such a profound experience for me. It's kind of an arc, you know, where. You know, I, I grew up, you know, watching all of my dad and my uncles and all this. And, and it absolutely plays into hunting. You know, it absolutely plays into the love and passion you have for family, which, yeah. which of course, is about hunting and and all of that. And so, you know, just um, just observing, you know, the uh, the range of emotions on my little girl's face as she learned aspects of business and and uh you know and and friendship and you know and all these things at the tender age of seven is uh yeah it's uh you know it's it's pretty damn it'll soften you up man you know what i mean yeah (laughs) Yeah. well my 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 little girl is 20 now and so it's uh i'm I'm still getting to experience that i know she's you know working towards a career and and seeing the ambition and drive so it's i can i can relate man i i remember those years fondly so yeah yeah yeah. Well, you know, Alex, um, one of the, uh, the, the, the thing that stuck out with me in the interview, I, I, you, you probably said it as a throwaway line almost, mm-hmm. um, in the course of conversation, but it, but it really kind of resonated with me and, and mm-hmm. stuck with me. And, uh, it, it was in the context of, of you were talking about how people, you know, who don't understand hunting and, and kind of what mm-hmm. it is and what it means and that kind of stuff. And, right. and, and you said, you know, Something to the point. I'm paraphrasing here, but but hunting is food culture. Yes, and yes. 
And and that struck me um, quite a bit because I, I wanted to follow up with you, kind of kind of wanted to begin there with you on this. But mm-hmm. you know, for for me, I, I like I said, I, I kind of have a, a a little dissertation on this so that mm-hmm. it kind of keys, mm-hmm. I think, the listener up to to where my mindset is um, when it comes to that. Yeah. And um, you know, for me, uh, food is kind of it's an important part of culture. Uh, it is, you know, and course. it, and it, yeah. it exists as a, as an expression of, of cultural identity. Yeah. Uh, in the hunting world, this, this takes many forms. Uh, there are regional identities, uh, in America that reflect its history, uh, when it comes to food. And, and, uh, you know, when you look back everything from, you know, the, the European ingredients and cooking styles, um, that, that you know, first started here in colonization and then, you know, indigenous folks, uh, indigenous peoples and the, and the way that they were, uh, what new foods they had that, that were only a part of the new world and, and how the preparation and things like that, uh, were going along to, to, you know, all the immigrants that followed from all over the world and, and brought mm-hmm. ingredients and, and, mm-hmm. and, methods and all that with them kind of, you know, keeping, keeping their cultural identity, even coming to this country. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they, they brought with them uh, just a little piece of home that expanded uh, into the diversity of foods that we're seeing today uh, all across the country. And, and so I personally look at food as, as almost like a window or picture into an individual and their history, what influenced them and, and, and their culture. And so that's kind of my, my long winded setup, I think to ask you, you know, that, that I'm interested in, in, you know, kind of what you meant by that, but also yeah. in your own personal, you know, food culture yeah. there in, yeah. in Mississippi and, and the South there. So, man, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's quite a question, man. I mean, there's so many facets of that, that I, I think even in my response to you that I probably could not touch on in the time that we have. Okay. Um, right. But um, first, let me say, that I don't think there's anyone who's ever done anything around having a discussion around food and its cultural importance better than the great Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Right. And um, I can't tell you what that guy, what his work meant to me, what his shows meant to me, just all the stuff that he taught to me. He got me through a really difficult time personally, you know, um, and so, you know, yeah, what a dude. But anyway, um, yeah, so so hunting is absolutely food culture. And I, I unfortunately, and you know, I, I'll be as as careful as possible, but I think, you know, the uh the unfortunate reality is that people who don't hunt far too often look at hunting more via the lens of gun culture than they do food culture. Right. Yeah. And the purpose of hunting um, in its essence and its absolute best and highest form is absolutely about putting food on the table, you know. And um, so for me, I mean, that gets really complicated. I mean, being being southern, you know, in the southeastern United States, that's my origin, being from Mississippi, being African-American, um, you know, there's so many layers there in terms of um, what hunting has meant for my family and and everything that hunting has given me, 
And so, um, so I, you know, I can't, I don't even know where to begin to answer your question. I, I think that, um, so, you know, growing up in Mississippi, you know, I would always hear, um, from as, as, as early as I can remember, um, my, my family, you know, my mom, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, you know, uh, relatives, extended family, everybody always talked about hunting and fishing as a way to put food on the table. Um, or they talked about it in this sort of very joyous way with the end result being putting food on the table as sort of a bonus to this beautiful experience that they had had. And so, um, you know, when you, um, when you start to peel back those layers, you absolutely, you know, unfortunately, and I, I always try to stay away from the dreaded P word, but you, you know, unfortunately, given the time that we live in today, you, you get into people's politics. And by that, I don't necessarily mean voting. I mean, you know, our identities, you know, how we move through the world, how we perceive other people, how we um, interpret information that's given to us via um, discussions with other folks. And, um, and I think that if we... You know, if we really examine those things in a very honest way, the only thing that's left there is to have to acknowledge other people's humanity. And unfortunately, I think that we sometimes get caught in a place where we're not um, capable or able to do that in the way that it should. That's what hunting has always did for me. You know, hunting is this thing that is profoundly um, personal for me. It's very intimate even, you know, because you, you don't stand around the tailgate of people, uh, you know, of, of a truck uh, with people that you don't know um, and people that you don't necessarily open up to and, and show your absolute uh, capabilities even like when you're walking through the woods and everybody's huffing and puffing and you're chasing that rabbit dog or you're sitting out in the frigid elements and waiting for that deer to come through or you're you know you're in the quail woods whatever it is you know um what we are oftentimes up against is um the very real reality that that nature imposes on humans right and so um it humanizes all of us. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, with that being said, you know, if you are fortunate enough to harvest game via a particular moment or day or what have you, and you're able to share a meal with people, a game that you worked so hard to, to uh, acquire, then um, I think you have no choice but to see people um, in ways that you probably wouldn't have seen them had you not experienced the pursuit of it all with them. Right. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and so in that way, yeah, I think, I think, um, hunting is absolute. It's food culture. You know, it, it you know, we, um, 
again, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the images that are out there. So growing up, my dad was absolutely adamant, even back in the 80s, that my brother and I were to never take photos of game that we had harvested. Um, even even down to fish that we caught. I mean, it's just not something I often share on my social media. Yeah. Um, because his fervent belief, even back then, was that people who didn't hunt had the wrong idea and perception of what this was all about. Now, I grew up on a cattle farm in central Mississippi. We raised row crops. We... Uh, you know, I grew up cowboying, if you will, you know, riding horseback, roping, riding all that. And I do remember distinct times when relatives or friends of relatives would come back to Mississippi and visit the farm. And they had all these sort of perceptions about who we were, how I suppose if, you know, if, if you want to, you know, if you want to expose the implication of how, how violent we were, right? Because we we ate, we killed the food that we that we ate, you know. And so, so barbaric, right? Right? So <laughs> evil, right? So, you know. But I, I mean, I, again, you know, you just really have to ask the question. I mean, what do you think that happens to the food that you buy in the store? Yeah, you know. And so again, now we're we're dropping down levels here because when you talk about the the African-American culture of my parents and grandparents and the community in which I came from, these were people that raised, killed, prepared, harvested everything they consumed. Right. You know, they, they got water from a spring. They didn't buy bottled water. You know, they, they kept seeds from year to year to plant crops. They, they went out and they uh, they picked fruit, they foraged, right? Um, you know, um, rabbit hunting, which I, I did last weekend and over in South Georgia, South and Central Georgia. Rabbit hunting is probably, and I mean, I could do a really deep dive about this alone, but rabbit hunting is, I would say, one of my family's most sacred traditions. Yeah. You know, um, there was a there was a fascinating article, um, I think, back in 2017 in Outdoor Life that that covered, um, you know, the the, the African, African-American roots in um, rabbit hunting in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was kind of a, a fear that, uh, you know, kind of kind of an ominous tone in that article that that uh, talked about, you know, that it might get relegated to the, the history books mm-hmm. um, simply because there there was far fewer places to, mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to hunt. And it, it's because hunting, hunting itself in this country changed, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. right around the 1940s, 1950s, right. where, um, you know, it, it, instead of, well, certainly, you know, farming practices change the, the habitat things that related right. to rabbits, but, you know, suddenly deer became more profitable mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and popular. And, and so, guys were leasing up bigger chunks of land because they started mm-hmm. sitting in tree stands instead right. of doing drives and that kind right. of stuff. But, right. um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was entirely fascinating, you know, to think that, that rabbit hunting kind of in that late, you know, uh, 1900s, early, mm-hmm. you know, or that, that 19th, late 19th century, early 20th century, you know, was, was really kind of left to, um, 
kind of flourish and grow and, and expand, uh, um, yeah. you know, with the African-American community because the, the, uh, the, the white folks of the day essentially didn't, you know, um, didn't that, care. For I wasn't popular. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they but, were after and, quail and other things. That's absolutely the thing. So, um, you know, man, I, I, I always am careful when I, you know, when I, whenever I approach conversations that, that frankly have to take race head on and, and address the real reality that race is a thing. Cause there's always going to be somebody that's uncomfortable about that, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you know, growing up, so I've always, so I discovered hunting via deer hunting, right? My dad joined a hunting club in the Mississippi Hill Country um, in the late 70s, early 80s. My parents went there in the, in the late 60s as student teachers and sort of never left. My dad became a member of this hunting club, and that's how my brother and I really kind of sort of developed this passion for hunting. Now, you know, via conversations from my dad and other family members, there were not very many deer around when they were growing up. My dad was born in the 40s, of course. And um, if there were deer around, unfortunately, the notion was that African-Americans were not allowed to harvest them. Um, and so, you know, my my family very much were small game hunters, you know, deer um possum raccoon um quail um you know basically you know what what they found that was not you know that was socially acceptable for them to harvest you know because the reality is that race is everywhere in every you know um every place in our society and, and yeah it has been for a long time right and so um so they um you know, they were, were small game hunters, but, you know, rabbit hunting, man, on both sides of my family. my I have an uncle who lives in Richmond, Virginia, who had, I think, three or four championship hounds, um, really accomplished rabbit hunter and houndsman. And um, my dad's uncle, who was six months older than my dad, was still alive. And, um, you know, he and I were talking just last night about about uh his uh his dogs and his his love for rabbit hunting and he he gave me so much insight in about in about six minutes he gave me this sort of historical narrative of how important rabbit hunting was to my family how joyous it was and how much um it brought everybody together so I do remember, so I, I lost my grandmother, my dad's mom, unfortunately, in 2002, and then my dad passed in 2003. And so um, 2002, I, I remember my grandmother relaying this story, you know, you know, many years ago about how um, when she, you know, um, married my grandfather, that my great-grandmother called to her one day while they were working on the farm and said, you know, here is a rabbit. And she, she uh, handed my grandmother a, a pistol and said, go shoot that rabbit. <laughs> so my grandmother had to, had to pursue the rabbit on foot. So she ended up running after this rabbit and she shot it. But she always told that story with such joy. Like there was, it was always this moment of, uh, you know, she told me to do this and I had no idea that I could, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I did it right, and so 
Um, you know, and just just talking to uh, talking to my my uh, uncle just just last night, he was saying, you know, that that a part of the family pastime was that they would just they would just kind of wander along the railroad tracks of a, of a railroad that was near our home, and and how you know how common rabbits would be there and how much joy it was, you know, because they, you know, he said, man, we would, we would absolutely clobber rabbits, you know, over and over again. And, you know, that is literally what, um, in many ways, I'm sure my family relied on for substance for protein for a long time, because, um, you know, now again, I, I grew up in a, in a cattle raising family, farmers and so forth, but, you know, you have to think about a time when people probably didn't have deep freezers and so forth. And so they they harvested everything and they ate it fresh, right? And so, um, you know, I I, uh, I I can very vividly see what I imagine would probably just epic hunts, man. You know, because these, you know, some of these people when I came along were were getting on up there at age in the eighties, but you know how they and they were and they were really good hunters then. And I could only imagine what they were doing back in the in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, you know. Um, and so, and I, I could also, you know, I, I um, so I, I have uh, I have a grill that my dad handmade. My dad, my dad was kind of a jack of all trades and did all sorts of things. But he made, uh, you know, he made this grill that has these two big smoke columns on the top and. And it's actually uh, it's being re you know kind of redone now by some professionals, but you know I can remember growing up, man, when we when we were hard, you know, we would uh, we would you know kill a hog or um, a steer or something like that, you know, just how epic that was, not just for my family, which was this huge extended family, but for the entire community because they would you know they would um, you know we would. We would kill we would kill hogs and we would you know they dig a big pit in the ground and they would you know prepare the hog and put it in there which is a, a really old African American tradition right C- cooking under direct heat and all of that and you know and I can remember uh, you know my dad and and others just cooking with what it seemed like for hours but you know there'd be hundreds of people who would come through there. You know, they were never concerned about, oh, you know, we can't feed all these people because they they did what they could to take care of the whole entire community. And so when you think about food and hunting being food culture and the food we raise or harvest, whatever, being food culture, you see it being a part of this really important narrative of connection via people and keeping those communities together, you know. Um, particularly in African-American communities of the past where resources, of course, were unfortunately very limited. And, um, you know, you could definitely see where a lot of people who had fewer means would, would, would hey, they're having a cookout at so-and-so's house, right? And they, you know, and then find their way there. And then, they, you know, there becomes this sort of relief thing. Oh, they're having this great cookout for everybody. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I may get carried away here. But, you know, <laughs> that you, you, so your question is really complicated. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, 
sorry. No, it is. I mean, and, and I, I, you know, I, I often wonder about, you know, the, the, the origin of, of the, the famed cookout, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like yeah. that, that kind of tradition that, that carries yeah. on where it's, you know, families and friends and stuff gathering together for, you know, a barbecue or whatnot, or, or, you know, mm-hmm. almost kind of potluck style and, and that, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> there's, it, it seems we as humans kind of have that tradition that just continues to carry forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure from, from exactly mm-hmm. where, but you know, I mean, you could imagine, you know, I mean, going back to the caveman days and yeah. fi- finally they've, you know, they've, they've knocked down a mastodon or <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so gather the whole tribe together to, to grab the meat and cook it all. Cause yeah. obviously you didn't want it to spoil. That's right. a, that's a heck right. of a lot of meat. I don't know how big of a tribe you'd need right, to, right. to yeah. tear down a mastodon in one day, but right. um, you know, it's gotta be pretty sizable. So, yeah, I, you know, I can remember even when I was a kid on summer days, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood would always end up at my house and, you know, my mom would always figure out a way to have this massive meal for everybody every day during the summer times, you know, and if it were, it didn't matter what it was. I mean, she just, you know, this was something that we did, you know, and, you know, you know, if you fast forward to the eighties to where, you know, my dad, you know, was part of this really incredible hunting club in the Mississippi Hill Country where, um, I mean, some, some of the absolute best meals I ever had in my life were out there. You know, I, right. I'm, I'm convinced of it. <laughs> you know, I'm a foodie. I love food and I love to eat everywhere. And, you know, and I I watch hunting shows that, are, that have that sort of interconnectedness with food and, and all of this. But, you know... Um, you know, when you really think about all that stuff, man, again, you, you know, you sort of, the, the thing that food does more, I think, most importantly is, you know, you know, let's say you've had a really bad day, or let's say you've had, uh, you know, you've got, you've got unfortunate circumstances going on. You know, your, your professional life is, is, things are not good or what have you, or whatever, whatever it could be. But the the opportunity for you to gather with people that support you and that love you and, um, you know, who 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 share, you know, your food tastes um, and, and who will. Who will who will uh, try to think of the best words it, there have just been moments of, of such safety right. and reassurance and and um, and connectedness with what it means to be people who are, who live close to the land and who um, who are proud of that, right? Um, and you know, I. I um, I just don't know how, you know, um, I'm sorry. I'm kind of getting tripped up because I'm just sort of having these moments down memory lane where how important these experiences were for me. Now, if you talk about wild game and that being sort of, you know, crossed into, you know, African-American cooking culture, when we're talking about soul food and all these other things. I mean, I've absolutely experienced that, you know, my, my, um, so several things. One, I lost my absolute hunting idol in November of 2021, unfortunately, after a brief illness. And um, he was he was president of my dad's hunting club. And 
you know, very few of those guys are still around now, but the one, you know, the ones who are actually Camp Cook is, is certainly still at it. And, um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, man, you know, his, uh, his smothered uh, deer backstrap, what we call tenderloin, his, yeah. his, uh, his tenderloin smothered in rice and gravy is, <laughs> it is the absolute essence of what it means to be a human being. I really, I really feel that, you know, it's, um, you know, words that come to mind are like, you know, grace and love and connectedness, almost a sort of mysticism with nature itself. And, um, yeah, man, you know, this, this stuff is really, really powerful. Again, you know, Anthony Bourdain, I think, was the absolute, like, he was the very best at showing across the world over what it meant to be a human being and love food. Right. And then how that connects with your culture, where you're from, you know, what might be your particular political affiliation even. I mean, down to the minutia of who we are as human beings, you know. Right. And, um, yeah, man. Yeah. No, I, I, I certainly appreciate that. I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's, there is a lot of, uh, memory connections and, and emotional connections, you know, that I think we all develop to, you know, people and places and, and Mm -hmm. food and all that other stuff. I, I, you know, know, knowing that you're you're kind of a fifth generation at, at, at mm-hmm. the bare minimum, maybe mm-hmm. even longer, yeah. you know, as a hunter, um, you know, how how much do you feel like that influenced your choice into into going into wildlife? Oh, man. I, I, sure. It influenced everything. Yeah. You know, um, I can remember, I think I was maybe ninth or tenth grade. My parents came to me and said, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I didn't have a clue, <laughs> of course, right? You're you're not, you're 19th grade. You don't know, but uh, if you, you're lucky if you do. But but I, I had no clue, and I can remember, um, yeah, I remember sort of sort of thinking about, well, um, I think I want to be one of those guys that rode around the green pickup trucks, right? And that was. The, the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fishes, and Parks, right? Um, right. Um, and, you know, in, in, um, in thinking about that, I, I just wanted to be outdoors all the time. And that was because, you know, the, the, the best experiences I've had, I can remember, were at my dad's deer camp or were at our family farm or, you know, or what have you. So... You know, and figuring out okay, what are those? What are, if I want to be one of those guys in the green trucks? And what do I have to study in college? Yeah. And it was wildlife and fisheries, right? And then when I got there, they said, "Well, hey, you know, you'd have a much better shot at at st- if you double majored in forestry and wildlife. You, you'd have a much better shot at getting a job." And so that's what I did. You know. Yeah. Um. And you know, I I can't. Um, I'm, I, I can't say how thankful I am for, you know, the, the experience of hunting at that hunting club and what that did for me. Um, 
And, you know, seeing, you know, because, you know, these guys that hunted with my dad, I mean, man, when I, you know, I can honestly say that these were slash are men that are absolutely exceptional outdoorsmen. Yeah. Okay. Not, not, um, unfortunately, I think one of the, one of the biggest problems that I think we have is that we have unfortunately overlooked far too many people because they don't fit a certain narrative or look a certain way or, you know, go to church with certain people or something like that. And, um, I can tell you that these guys were literally probably <laughs> some of the best outdoorsmen of of our time, you know, yeah. just in terms of their skills, their their relationship with nature, um, their um, um, their reverence, you know, all the lessons that they taught me in terms of respect and honor and ethics and justice and all of these things, you know, um, and they were so absolutely woven into what it means to be a hunter and outdoorsman. Yeah. You know, they were, they was always pointed out that you could not be a hunter and an outdoorsman if you didn't have this set of values and this set right. of ethics, you know what I mean? Like, and, and they always pointed out to me that the world and opportunities were as whatever I wanted to do, was absolutely possible. Right. If I if I worked hard, if I didn't give up, if if um, you know it. Oh, man, I could I could go well, on. I'm sorry. Well, but yeah. Well, no, no, for sure. I mean, I I I I think just to tag on to that, um, you know what what I find probably the most fascinating is you never know where kind of some of the, the, the information and, and knowledge that you learn about, you know, hunting or, or any of that, you know, kind of comes from, um, I, you know, obviously you and I went to, to schools that, you know, taught mm -hmm. us all about wildlife and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I remember taking an ornithology class, you know, learning all about birds and, and I kind of laugh and joke because I actually learned more about bird anatomy from a fly tying class I took. Mm -hmm. Um, learning about the, the, the hydrophobic and hydrophilic properties of feathers, mm -hmm. uh, from different areas of a Turkey, yeah. uh, used in fly tying than, than I actually did in class. And so, yeah. um, you know, my, my, the, the thing that I learned about, about wild game cooking is, is I didn't mm -hmm. get, um, I, I would definitely say, you know, my mother was my biggest influence, um, right. But I've I've learned more from other folks and and experience I've had travels and trips and classes and mm -hmm. those kind of things about cooking. But mm -hmm. what I got from my mother was that my it's it's my passion and and my 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 reverence and and you know why I think food and and cooking and, and is so important. I got that from mm -hmm. her. She was right. not the world's greatest game cook, yeah. you know, yeah. to, to put it bluntly. Yeah. But but what she instilled in me, like I said, was was that passion for it, and I, I picked up mm -hmm. what I needed elsewhere. And so, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those those mentors and stuff that you talk about, who you know, yeah. you kind of. You have this great respect for where those skill sets came from, whether it was, mm -hmm. you know, actually being in the woods and and 
living with the animals and, and, you know, understanding their habits and movements and those kind of Mm -hmm. things. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, you, you really just kind of, it's, it's, I think as we could all agree, I mean, you, you evolve over your entire lifetime. And, and I mean, I'm constantly learning new things and picking up new, you know, tips and tricks and learning from other people and, you know, sometimes figuring things out that have been right in front of my face for 20, 30 years and mm-hmm. never put two and two together. So, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've been a forester and a wildlife biologist in some of the most, you know, when I, when I left college, I went and worked for the U.S. Forest Service on the Allegheny National Forest. And if you worked for the Forest Service on the Allegheny National Forest at that time, you were at the cutting edge of some of the biggest challenges that the Forest Service had. And I was in the silviculture shop, which means I was one of those guys that's sort of like, uh, you know, managing the vegetation, the entire landscape. Right. And that's kind of the, that's, that's, that's the hardest stuff. And, um, and then, you know, sort of everywhere that I've been career wise, I've sort of been at the forefront of, you know, working towards something that I, you know, that I, you know, I, I think is looking back on is probably pretty influential and important. Um, you know, so with that being said, um, you know, with all the all the sort of, you know, school book learning that, you know, these guys would say, you know, where you learn the stuff in school, but. You know, to to be really honest, man, um, you know, the the sort of knowledge and information that um, that I learned and picked up on and still do, you know, at at my, you know, going back to see those guys in my dad's hunting club. I mean, these are guys that are, you know, they're just exceptional. There's just no other way to put it because. You know, my, my hunting idol, his name is Henry Anderson Sr. Um, here's a guy, man, like, you know, his instincts, his uh, his relationship to land, his ability to tell you things that I'm absolutely sure in today's time that a lot of wildlife biologists that are master's level probably would not even, wouldn't know. Okay. Um, about animal behavior and about, you know, so, so I came along, I was very fortunate to come along in Mississippi state at a time where there was some, there was some really, really good legendary, even field biologists, you know, people that were accustomed to working on the land and understanding all the relational stuff that goes on there, why that's important, you know? Um, and you know, now in today's time where everyone's sort of so, you know, so research oriented and and doesn't necessarily have those, you know, those really hard skills. Um, you know, here is a guy who, um, and Henry Anderson Sr., he, he, he could, he could almost teach you a class on any given day of you just spending time with him about things that he had just accumulated over his lifetime or knowledge that was passed along from, um, from people that, that, that he had learned it from, from, from African-American folks, the Hill country of the Delta over who didn't necessarily get, you know, opportunities to go to college and, and all of that, but who, um, who were just profoundly acute and insightful 
in the way that they could that they could just pass along information that generations prior even had probably taught them. And I, I think that's one of the things is um, this is a tradition that has been vastly overlooked. And, 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 um, and I, I think that is part and partial why we face as a, as a, as a community. And by that, I mean the hunting community, why we face some of the challenges that we have is because we haven't necessarily recognized um, how different everyone's experiences have been, and we haven't necessarily recognized how how important it is to listen to those experiences and draw from those experiences and allow those experiences to be at the forefront of the dialogues that need to be had. And um, you know, I. I um, you know, I, I, that's, that's absolutely what I do every day. So, so, you know, I, I, um, I'm a consulting forester and wildlife biologist. I started a company that's one of very few, I think there's maybe three or four African-American owned natural resource management firms in the entire U S. And when you start th- talking about the landscape, you know, the, you know, land ownership in the South, you know, that African-American ownership has been, historically very very solid and you know you can get up in places like oklahoma and out into texas and new mexico even and other places where um you know the african-american presence in those places in terms of land ownership has has been very constant and, and very there and so you know when you um when you don't necessarily you're not aware of this sort of historical connection that people have, how their ethics and values might be slightly different and, and, and reflective more even of that, you know, sort of like indigenous communities. Um, and then, you know, you know, time sort of, you know, goes around them in terms of the policies that we make in terms of how we approach, um, you know, advocating on behalf of, of hunting and and all of that, um, it's absolutely not like African American, like the African American community have not been here. We've always been here, right? Um, particularly in the American South. Um, but it's simply that we have not, unfortunately, been recognized, and or at least not in the ways that um, have produced a sense of inclusiveness where everybody's working toward the same goal. Sure. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think with that, that's, that's, you know, that's why I started my company and the work that I try to do. And I, I, I work with everyone, but I certainly try and focus on these, you know, a subset of, of specific landowners because there are specific issues. You know, we have this issue of quote absentee land ownership where, someone's parents or foreparents left the American South. They went out West, they went up North and they still own land in the South. Right. And there's a historical um, strand of lack of information in these communities. So you have all these lands that are not being managed in terms of conservation um, or any of that. And so I, you know, I started a company to sort of be a resource in that regard. And, 
to sort of, you know, help these families um, identify managing their land in terms of conservation and then um, working with reliable leaseholders that, that, that are hunters who lease these places and, and assist these landowners with their objectives. And, and you know, where, where that sort of meets is this wonderful space where, you know, we're having this sort of renaissance of, of, uh, of people who are like, you know, I never knew this was possible coming from African-American communities to, um, you know, the reality, you know, that a lot of these leaseholders turn out to be not from the African-American community going, man, you know, this this is a great thing that you're doing. You know, we would, we wanted to lease this thing 30 years ago. And so now, you know, these people are off and they're creating enterprises and they're creating relationships that will last for a very long time. And, and, you know, it's, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty miraculous thing that's taking place, man. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. I have, I I have a, I have a Go good ahead. friend of mine who, uh, to to one of your earlier comments, um, I have a friend of mine. He uh, he he told he said to me one time. He said, you know, sometimes uh, you can be on the right track um, with with where you're going, um, but if you sit still, you can still get run over. Mm. Uh, so so mm-hmm. you know, um, I uh, I I can definitely see you know like where yeah there there are a bunch of um, uh, things you know certainly i think in the future of hunting and and all that uh, you know in that direction and and for me that's like i said with looking at at hunting from kind of that that boiling it down to that basic you know um kind of element of you know food um is probably Mm -hmm. you know the the tangible reason of why we hunt um Mm -hmm. there's there's Mm -hmm. several intangibles but the tangible reason at the end of the day like i said is is that food component and and, uh you know where it where it uh where it goes from there so um i think uh that's really the the common piece to to all of it but it but it shows up in several different forms um yeah. and, and you know yeah. uh has it has kind of a rich history and tradition i, I make mm-hmm. fun of randy all the time for his his minnesota hot dish um you know mm-hmm. recipes mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. stuff that are common up there but uh it's uh it's it, it that's all part of it i mean mm-hmm. you know there there are those things and we're in a a, a very large renaissance now of mm-hmm. of uh of wild game cooking um, and food kind of, you know, pushing it forward, something we haven't really kind of seen or experienced since the market hunting days, um, you know, where, where everyone had access to, to wild game. And, and so we, we actually should con- consider ourselves the privileged few, mm. um, you know, eating, eating so well and, and everything else, even though yes. I think a, a lot of the rest of America looks at us mm-hmm. as kind of weirdos right? Uh, <laughs> for, uh, for, for eating things that aren't, you know, uh, what's typical on the American, uh, dinner plate. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, I, I think, um, I would say this, man, you know, talking to the guys that are, you know, know, talking to folks that are my dad's generation and before, I don't think anyone really understands what it means about hunting being more about food culture than that of African-Americans in the rural South, um, you know, who were born in the 40s, 50s, 60s and before. Okay. Um, 
because for for many social reasons, I mean, they you know, this was absolute subsistence, you know, um, yeah. and um, you know, I, I think that um, I just think there's so many important cultural. I have I have conversations with people all the time who are who are you know, I guess I guess for lack of better way to explain it, they're not like me, right? They're not, they're not. You know, they don't necessarily understand my lifestyle of being, you know, uh, you know, as close to land as I am and, you know, you know, being as close to hunting and, and all of that sort of thing. And so um, they sort of look at me as sort of this, you know, they don't really know what to do with me, <laughs> really, to be <laughs> frank with you, you know. And so um, but the more that I have conversations with them, the more I explain, like, you know, you probably aren't from the South or you probably don't live like this, but I assure you that your grandparents did. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, we, when we start having these conversations, you know, it, it actually becomes a thing of sort of, uh, where people sort of recognize a kind of cultural pride that they didn't, they were not even aware that was there. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, you know, particularly with the younger generation of folks right now where, you know, they have, you know, there's this sort of renaissance of historically black colleges and universities and, and all these things. And it's sort of this uh, reconnection and re-identification with, uh, with the African-American culture of years gone by. And then you see that this relationship with land has absolutely always been there. And um, I would even say is I would say the relationship with African-Americans and land ownership is is by and large more complicated even than the majority of American society simply because of how complex it is. You know, people who were forced to work on land and people who were always held in this kind of really complicated limbo and then people who decided they were going to leave that land behind, who, who they had acquired and worked with. Um, and then um, sort of all the the... Unfortunately, all the cultural trauma that came along with that. And so, um, but I, I would say, you know, um, you know, when you, again, you know, you have to peel back all those layers of that onion. And when you start doing that, you really begin to see that um, um, there are some things that are, that are, that are for what it's worth, that are not only um, profoundly quote unquote African American in terms of their cultural importance, but they're also profoundly American. Right. Um, and you know, and it, you know, so, so a good, a good point of that is I was talking with my good friend, Jonathan Wilkins, who is, uh, is like doing some really exciting things in the hunting world with, uh, with his hunting lodge up in Arkansas and I was showing him a picture of my dad's barbecue pit that my dad had built. And I was saying, you know, I want to I want to do like an offset, you know, where I can do smoking and stuff on this thing. And he was like, no, 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 don't do that. And I, and I was I, I didn't really understand. I was like, why? I, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and he was sort of like, well, you know, if you look at your dad's grill, like it is absolutely quintessentially what it means. You know, this relationship between African-Americans and barbecue. You know, it's direct heat. It's cooking right. everything over direct coals, right? And and he was like, man, leave that thing the way it is. Just, you know, have it refurbished and kind of updated, if you will. But 
you know, just leave it alone. And so, um, you know, just, just, you know, just, just sort of that alone, man, where, where you're helping people to understand, which was really important for me growing up that, you know, you not only have a cultural connectedness and identity to what it means to be a hunter and outdoorsman and to, and to land, but you can look at your own culture and see contributions that have already been made long before you ever got here. They were extremely important though, that, that led to the entire world being shaped by them, you know? Yeah. And so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I appreciate you for giving me the opportunity to come on your podcast and just talk about these things that I think are, are neat and important, you know? No, I, I, I certainly do think so. Like I said, I, I you, you might have thought about it as a, as a throwaway line in the course of conversation, but, mm-hmm. but I, I really it, it sparked something and, and made me, made me want to have this conversation with you. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, uh, you know, we could, we could certainly talk about it and, and learn about, you know, I think a little bit more about your food culture and perspective mm-hmm. there. You know, mm-hmm. um, being from the south, I, I know you said uh, uh, you have, you've, you've kind of hunted everywhere. Have you made it to Arizona yet? I have not, man. I got a good friend uh, that lives out there who works for the Forest Service. He's a fire management officer on National Forest, and I have not had the opportunity to come out to Arizona and hunt. I would love to do that. Well, I tell you what, when you get out here, um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to show you just a completely different world of of hunting out here. Um, you know, rabbits like you've never seen before, and oh, and, uh, and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. The, the diversity in Arizona. You there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 them right there. There's there's a, yeah. a you know, um, we we have it's it's actually pretty fun that we've got five different um, uh, species, uh, uh, three cottontail subspecies, and, mm-hmm. and two hares, uh, jackrabbits mm-hmm. to chase around out here. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then just it's there's a plethora of, of small game mm-hmm. hunting opportunities here in this mm-hmm. state. So, so and I got to. I got to make it out to Mississippi because that's, oh, man, that's, I would one, love to have that's, you. Please. that's one yeah. of my, that's one of my States that, that I yeah. eventually one of these days, I'm going to say I've hunted all 50 States and so yeah. Mississippi's hasn't, hasn't made the list yet. So, oh man, come on. We, we will. <laughs> yeah. Just come on, man. We'll, we'll take care of that for you. I, I, um, so, so this past weekend, you know, hunting, uh, hunting rabbits, man, like, I, like I'm going to tell you, like something happened there. For me, something really important for me happened. Yeah. Um, because I don't know that I ever considered myself a rabbit hunter. Had I had I shot a few rabbits here and there? Yeah, 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 I have. Um, but I never really pursued rabbit hunting in the way that I'm completely open to doing so now. And yeah. um man, I could absolutely as I was you know, I hunted with I hunted with uh, six guys that I'd never met before, and I could absolutely see, without question, um, what it was probably like for my dad and my uncles and my family going on a rabbit hunt. I could yeah. absolutely see it. I mean, it was as plain as day. I mean, just just the whole experience of it all, and then when you you know you sort of you sort of put in the cadence and the rhythm of being Southern and African-American in the midst of all of that. Um, I could, I, yeah, it was just, uh, it was right there. And, 
you know, um, kind of gave you new eyes for it. Oh my gosh. Without question. I'm actually thinking about <laughs> buying four dogs, man. You know, I'm thinking about getting some hunting, some rabbit dogs and, and, um, you know, and, and really making this a thing, you know, um, because first of all, it was a lot of fun, yeah. you know, um, you know, I don't know, but, you know, hearing those hounds work, you know, um, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> that is like one of the most exciting things there is, you yeah. know, you're hearing these little beagles kind of, you know, pursue these rabbits and, and honestly, you know, for what it's worth, <laughs> The Beagles are at a drastic disadvantage. <laughs> okay. <Right. laughs> like the only thing they have is their sense of smell. That's all they've got. And they can say, at least there was a rabbit here at some point recently. That's pretty much all they can do. Right. And then, right. um, you know, uh, the camaraderie, you know, the, <laughs> the back and forth banter and the conversations and the, you know, I, I you know I got the first rabbit this past weekend, and whereas I had never met most of these guys or all these guys before, you know, here were guys that looked absolutely like my grandparents and so forth, who, who now at that moment sort of became very open to who are you, where are you from, what do you do, you know, yeah. and, um, and even saying. We don't know you, but we want to hunt with you again. You're welcome to come back here anytime. You know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, what? what is more elemental in terms of this human experience than that? No. You know? I, um, yeah, man. I mean. Yeah, I, and, you know, for me, I mean, I, 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 I have like this big smile on my face as, as you <laughs> talk about, you know, kind of, kind of rediscovering rabbit hunting as a, as with a new purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for me, I, I, uh, for me, it was, it was, it was back in my college days really that, that, you know, I, I kind of, I, I was really down on hunting for a little bit. And, and I think what it was, was I was, I was, I was kind of upset with the direction that I thought, you know, it had taken. Um, and, and where I sat in all that, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, where I, you know, still even seeing it today and, and, yeah. uh, but you know, there was just this large, big game focus and, and, you know, it was, it was kind of about the, the inches of antler or, or mm -hmm. horn or, I mean, just, you know, the, the brag board, the, the, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of put mm -hmm. it up there and, and mm -hmm. in the midst of all that, you know, really discovering squirrel hunting for the first time for me and, yeah. and seeing, you know, like just kind of having my eyes open, you know, mm -hmm. to, to this experience and possibility where it, it's, it's kind of became almost my, my charge and mission to, to advocate for, mm -hmm. for folks to, to, you know, open their own eyes and, and mm -hmm. kind of go, you know what, there, I've often been told that there are people who are, who are collectors, yeah. uh, and that there are people who f singularly focus on one yeah. thing. And, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with people who, you know, uh, that there is something intrinsically valuable about, mm -hmm. you know, just white tailed deer or just turkeys or, right. Right. Or, or whatever it is you find your passion in. I mean, I'm happy for you, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I want to, I, I kind of want to make sure that, that folks know that there's a bigger world than that because, you know, the small game hunter really, really kind of, 
began its descent in the 1970s, right after the mm-hmm. 1970s at the peak and, mm-hmm. and has really tracked downwards and, and small game, I think, you know, provides the most opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, to, to continue hunting, mm-hmm. uh, for, for so many people. And it's, it's a lot of, you know, the, the question is, is gosh, why do we want to make more hunters and stuff? And, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to take away my deer, my, my mm-hmm. sheep or make it harder to draw these things in the West. And, mm-hmm. And all these things, and I'm like, you know what? I'll tell you exactly where to put them. <laughs> you put them out in the woods with me, mm-hmm. you know, chasing chasing anything with fur or feathers, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that that really just be, you know, more more productive and and you know, use those lands, yeah. you know, to to the fullest capability instead of a singular focus, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just kind of enjoy that. So yeah, yeah, I I um man, I, I think you hit like. You hit the nail on the head because I, I, I can remember when I was in forestry school, you know, and uh, absolutely everything was about the size of the rack of the deer. Right. Or, right. you know, um, the duck. Right. Or, or something of that nature. And it was it was I very much, you know. <laughs> so for me, when we start talking about hunting as food culture. What I saw that was different for me when I got to Mississippi State was this notion of antlers and, you know, you know, all this sort of all these these values that were not at the center of what my hunting experience had been growing up. Right. Right. And and I I did find those things very problematic. Um, but I suppose in many ways you just kind of, you know, as you're as you're growing and going, you kind of succumb to just not really participating um, in that. And, you know, I, I think I think you're absolutely right on. And so one thing that I'm really excited about, you know, is is to see, you know, this sort of, you know, nascent diversity, this emerging diversity of people who are getting into hunting. And right. where their passions lie, you know, and and, you know, all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of things that they are now discovering that their grandparents knew a long time ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, right. you know, I, I think very few things, uh, you know, the, the pandemic has brought out so many things where people can now go back to the rural culture of the American South of the, of the seventies and eighties that I remember and the early nineties um, and see value there. Whereas when we were living it, we thought that it was the worst thing ever. You know, I thought, you know, when my grandmother said, you know, you know, I want you to come shell these peas or pick peaches or something like that, 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 that was the worst thing it was, you know what I mean? And, you know, they didn't, you know, they were not into all these modern conveniences that I appreciated and I just didn't really want to hang out with that. You know what I mean? And so now looking back at that, you know, when the pandemic began, you know, I can remember cause, cause when I was growing up, man, my parents didn't really have to go to the grocery store that much you know um i had a a cousin from california come visit us once and my mother asked her what what do you want in your coffee and my cousin i think she said creamer or something like that and and my mom was like oh well i don't have any of that (laughs) and and they had to go to the grocery store in order to get it and my cousin even to this day i mean this has been 30 years ago my cousin still always talks about 
how, you know, self-sustaining my, my parents were, you know, at that time. And, um, you know, and, I, and again, I, you know, I would, I would venture to say that for what it's worth, from my experience, and this is not in any, this does not take away from anyone else's experience, but that experience was profoundly African-American because all the people that I knew growing up lived like that, right. you know? Um, and, um, you know, if, I guess if, if in any way I'm sort of, if I'm an advocate or anything like that, I'm kind of an advocate to show people, you know, don't, don't talk bad about hunting. Don't talk bad about gardening. Don't talk bad about, raising you know cows or hogs or goats or any of those things because that's absolutely what generations prior to you did and so now we see those things and we see people who are making tons of money sort of celebrating you know in in the social media platforms and sort of celebrating stuff that this is literally the life that i saw growing up in rural mississippi as as a as a kid and a young adult and so um, you know, and, and, you know, with, with all of that being said, man, you know, it's, I think it's important because, because for what it's worth, I mean, the sad reality is that even still, there's so many people that look at hunting in a negative light without really understanding what this is about. And because there are maybe a few people who are not the best representatives of it all. And, you know, who kind of work toward their own end on things. And and um, and that that, in my opinion, is part and partial. The future of where we have to be like, we, we, you know, hunting is 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 kind of under attack, you know, right. from a narrative that doesn't serve us well. And that isn't really who we actually are, you know. And so. um you know, if, if if I have any uh, value in all of this stuff, it's it's um, it's just being authentically who I am. You know, it's being African American from the rural South, and and you know, and working with these communities to to capture some things, and then to say, absolutely, all of this has something to do with hunting, and um. Absolutely. You know, hunting is absolutely an essential, critical part of self-sustainability for rural minority communities in the American South and the world over. So, you know, these things are they get really complicated when you think about them. But, you know, I think there, there definitely needs to be a shift in terms of the faces and the narratives that are telling the stories about hunting and um, how those stories are told, you know. Sure. So, yeah. Well, all I can tell you, Alex, is is it's been super awesome to to sit down with you today and and finally get a chance to connect and and uh, uh, learn more about you, um, you know, and 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 your perspective on it. I, I you know, I'm I'm gonna, I think I'll, I'll I'll ruminate it on on it quite a bit. I think in the in the coming days and weeks and stuff, and and uh, you know, um, I, I I think you're a great voice out there. Um, you know, for, for representing, uh, a, a different facet. Like you said, this is, you know, uh, not 
people like to, I think, paint us with a broad brush or the, the knuckle dragon mouth breather, mm-hmm. Elmer Fudds, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, um, no, there's, there's a lot of high minded, thoughtful people, you know, who, who are out there and, and hunting isn't, isn't, you know, something you can have the, the 32nd elevator conversation with, That's right, uh, man. you know, yeah. uh, to yeah. explain what it is and what it means and, yeah. and, you know, uh, its roots and, and everything around it. And so, um, yeah. I, I really appreciate it, man. I, I, I hope someday we get in, we can get you out here to Arizona and, and I can come out there in Mississippi. And we can, I'd love to have you, man. Trade some I'd hunts love and, to have you. <laughs> and I hope I did okay on your podcast. I hope oh, it didn't you, sound you, too ideological no, you, or anything. <laughs> you're, you're fantastic. You're yeah. fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, really appreciate you guys listening in. Um, tune in for the next episode soon, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you then.